if you come to Coliseum Club with me, you're going to get beaten up. I won't because I've got those skills to exist outside in the street. That's, yeah, yeah, that's how I'm rolling, man. You get me? Welcome to Surviving Society with Shanto and Tiso. Towards a more sociable sociology. Welcome to Surviving Society. It's season five. We have to start by doing a really important shout out to Saskia. Saskia is stepping away from the podcast and though we are really gutted to be losing her, we are so grateful for all the work that she's done with us over the past nearly two years, helping us get the podcast where it is now. Saskia is going to be continuing doing her PhD research, which is based on people from the north who now reside in London. And also her really important activist for work via lesbian and gay support the migrants who through fundraising and direct action stand in solidarity with all migrants and are firm in the fact that no one is illegal. So yeah, a huge thank you to Saskia on behalf of um, me and Tiso. Thanks Saskia. Shout out. So season five T, me and you, we're going to be having mainly guests now, aren't we, on the podcast? Are we? No. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) And we've got a really jam-packed season ahead. And episode one, we are joined by our friend, colleague, legend in the game, Paulette Williams. Whoop, 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 whoop. (laughs) (laughs) So we are joined by Paulette. And if you follow follow me and Tiso on social media, um, you'll know that we have done and do work with... Paulette's organisation, which is called Leading Roots. She's the founder and CEO, and the organisation aims to strengthen the academic pipeline and student life cycle for black students, and that's black students from an African and Caribbean background. Paulette, tell us about how you started Leading Roots. I worked in widening participation at University College London. I've worked in WP for a very long time. It's like my first job outside out of uni. How long? Over decades. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I guess working in WPs, like, I went into it because I wanted to help young people. I wanted mm-hmm. to work in schools. Like, my first job was recruiting mentors and tutors, and they'd go out into schools and, like, help young people. And I thought, yeah, this is a cool job. I didn't understand WP and, like, what it was really about. So, yeah, I enjoyed doing that and then got to learn a bit more about the policy side of things. And, and then, obviously, after a long period of time, you start to reflect on impact, and you're a bit like, oh, is this working? Yeah. And who's it working for? And just not seeing black students still, especially at a Russell Group institution, like the numbers weren't really matching with the amount of effort and resource that was being put into WP, I felt. It's so interesting of who gets to know about or how WP is taken on by institutions, because I know when I did my undergraduate degree at Loughborough so in the East Midlands, I didn't know, I don't was there a WP department? There must have been a WP yeah, department. There had to be. Yeah. Where were ambassadors? We had student ambassadors, yeah, but it's WP. To clarify, what yeah. is WP? Widening participation. So widening participation was a government initiative in I want to say maybe two thousand and four. Yeah, yeah. Around then, to get fifty percent of eighteen to thirty year old into university into higher yeah. education and so yeah there was just this huge push to like encourage people to go to uni like aim higher do you remember aim mm-hmm. higher? yeah that sort of stuff. we were just going out and just basically it was that borderline between recruitment kind of aspiration raising but yeah it kind of focused very much on the student and like what the student needed to do to adapt to the institution mm-hmm. and be ready for the institution rather than what I feel is evolving now she's like what can the institution do 
to make sure that they're more welcoming and accessible to students. But you see that that whole WP thing, mm. was that to all universities across the board or were like the kind of LSCs or the Russell Group ones slightly different? Because yeah. I can imagine they would have pushed them towards the ex-polytechnics mm. because they they consider themselves to be a different league. Yeah. So was it was that similar or it's different types of work that they'll do, but it's the same initiative. It's the same initiative. So it was every university, no matter what they are, Russell Group or post ninety two has to have especially now we've got fees, a portion of their fees needs to go to access work. As you can imagine, WP at the institution I went to, Middlesex, is very different to where I work at UCL because the entry criteria is so high. Um yeah, and just, you know, general issues of access to those sorts of institutions. Yeah. So actually, like, if we're rolling back to 2004, the actual idea of WP, I guess, is a, it's a good thing. It was oh, a good yeah. thing at the time. It was like, yeah. let's get more representation. Yeah. Was it about getting representation? Was it, give, was it about giving students more opportunities? I think it was the key phrase I remember during that time was raising aspirations. Like, okay. I just remember that phrase. And honestly, obviously... I'm from Tottenham, I grew up around a lot of people that maybe didn't go to university. So when I went and, I, and then I started doing WP, sort of um, student ambassador work when I was at uni, I felt that, like, I wanted to tell young people that I, similar to how I grew up, yeah, like, go to uni, you know, it's really good, you can mm. do it. I guess I grew more cynical when the fees, <laughs> you know, the increased. Fees went up. Yeah, when the fees increased, I became more... more well, this is, this is the, what I was going to say. The irony is it's all about government policy. Mm. So if government policy at one end says, bring people in, and then the next government that comes in says, listen... We don't, we don't want everyone to be equal. Yeah. We want unequal, unequal societies. Well. And um, so by bringing in fees, you, you do that in one fell swoop because you can't afford it. But capitalism works on inequality. Yeah. It, it can't work another way. So there has to be yeah. someone at the bottom. Yeah. But I guess, I guess the message as well through WP is that everyone kind of can afford university in the sense that you've got the student loan system as it stands at the moment. So we don't want that to deter people from going to university undergrad, mm. <laughs> you know, postgrad and all that. Is yeah. But yeah, so I think, yeah, the message definitely is around the fact that uni is still accessible, but I just find it a bit, like, I find it a bit off that we've pushed this 50% into university and then suddenly they're like, yeah, £9,000 a year. It's like... Mm. <laughs> And, and it's also like, if you look at the same time of, of that, by 50% you mean that are, that are 18 to 30, how has that impacted or changed the staff within the university as well? So like who continues on, who stays studying? So it's like we've had a push to have more students in university and with that you get more, in quotations, what they use, ethnic minorities or in quotation BME students. And how has that reflected on later in their life so how is that reflected in terms of job opportunities how is that reflected in terms of postgraduate opportunities how is that reflected in becoming a lecturer within those institutions I guess as well the one of the key messages around WP is is social mobility but looking at that from the perspective of like no one saying come to uni and stay and be an academic. Like, yeah. That is not the messaging. <laughs> yeah. The messaging is come to uni and use it as a springboard to go off and get a really great job outside of academia. And that's the issue, one of the issues I think, quite fun wise. 
But this has always been what I have always found one of the issues with university. This idea that you're kind of this dream that's kind of this aspirational dream. You go to university, you come out, and where I well, my peer group was, you end up getting a job in an investment bank, Goldman Sachs, yeah. and you're in my head, I spent that money. Mm. I'm making boy, I've got bear trainers, I've got bear <laughs> trainers, but it's an aspiration that's sold to kids, and it's not the truth. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I left my undergrad, I actually went to the Dole office mm. and I sat there reading Karl Marx because I thought I was well brainy. And I was thinking, left must have been, what a dick, <laughs> just sitting there. But I think that's, it's damaging. Because like anything else, these things are stratified. Like, so if you're from a middle-class background, you're gonna go for university and get those jobs. Mm-hmm. If you're from a working-class background, it's less likely. Mm-hmm. And that's from my own experience. Mm-hmm. And when I've seen people come through, and when I've worked in the city, and I see those middle-class kids, they go through the same routes, and they get those jobs. We go to the same universities, the same courses. But you've had those social skills, those soft skills putting you from a very young age. Whereas if you come to Coliseum Club with me, you're going to get beaten up. I won't because I've got those skills to exist outside in the street. Yeah, yeah, that's how I'm rolling, man. You get me? And this is the problem. So university is not isolated from from society. Those same issues that exist in every other aspect of society affect the university, affect the academy. So what do you do? What can you do? Because it, it means a wholesale branch reform of everything. And there's entrenched interests that won't want to do that because why would I do that? I'm white, you're black. I'm a man, you're a woman. I'm straight, you're gay. You lot stay over there. Yeah. I'm here. I'll let one of you through. That's enough. Standard, isn't it? And I guess I think you're right, T, that the university is reflective of wider society and other institutions. I guess one of the barriers that we have within higher education and academia is that academics consistently think they're above how inequality plays out. They're above contributing to inequalities. I think that because they're sociologists, because they're psychologists, because they're historians, because they know about the theory of inequality, that they wouldn't enact that. You see, one of the problems with academics, and this is what I didn't want to be if I ever became one, was isolated from the world. So my first experience going to university, all my lecturers were the most socially awkward people you would ever meet in your life. One guy, he wouldn't even open a door to me. He spoke through the crack or the crack of a door. I'm not even lying. He spoke through a crack. I'd do my dissertation. I'd be like, I think he was praying. I think he was scared. scared I think he was scared. But at them times, I was being a bit of an arsehole. But to be fair, but he wouldn't speak speak through the door and pass some papers through the door. Uh, Later on, when I went to do my master's or doing PhD stuff, I find them awkward, man. Like, yeah, yeah. socially awkward. And that's because you exist in the world of the abstract. There's not many academics I know. Les is cool. Like, like they, they would just do normal things. Mm. Once you're in that stage, you can be like that. They're detached. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you can't be detached because, as you know, university exists in society. They exist in society. But they sit in a very kind of detached bubble talking to their friends. We've been to them kind of social conferences. You've seen them, bro. Like, you've seen them, innit? Oh, by the way, everyone, not Ellis is with us today. You've seen them? He's not going to say anything, but you, he's coming to them. You've seen them. Remember, remember when I said, I said, right, so you went to this conference, right, and I said to them, I said, look around this room. They look like they've been bullied, man. They look that kind of, that kind of look in school. Yeah. But they're kind of detached and they're kind of a bit socially awkward. Academia shouldn't be like that. But what I would say to you there is that I don't think, like, at the end of the day... Whoever you are, if you've made it to a mid-career level, 
in academia, you are privileged. So if you are socially awkward, you need to get over that because there's loads of people that are not in your position and want to be in your position. So you've got to do more to help those people. There's loads of pressures in academia in terms of the individual nature of it, so the fact that you have to publish, the fact you've got to teach, the fact you've got to do research, you've got to do all those things. But at the end of the day, the fact is, you get to study and work on a subject you're very passionate about. There's not many jobs but you which see you get you, to right? do that. See, this is the thing, Shethel, this is the difference. You're the kind of person that you'll bring someone in, in it. If you've got a thing, you'll bring someone in. But these people there, it's their thing. I don't need to bring you in. Mm. But that's a middle class way. Yeah. That's they don't the nature, Yeah, yeah. They don't bring their friends in. Like that's like a that's Well like they do bring their friends in. They friends. don't bring yeah. they, bring, they yeah. don't bring the people. Yeah. And obviously this is how it works in the bank. This is how it works in law. This is how it works in and right. we have to get to the point where academics we hold our hand up and say, Yeah, we're reproducing equalities. Of course here. Are, but what can we do to I, do in any institution? People don't think like things that nepotism exists. They course they do. Mm. It exists. But we think because you have a bureaucracy and things are objective and calculable and rational and all these things here, all the good stuff, yeah, that works. I think most people get things because I know someone. Mm. And that's how people roll. And just linking this back to Paulette talking about widening participation, this is where the issues have arise possibly with regards to who gets to represent the university, who gets to be teaching our black students, who gets to be doing the research on marginalised communities. And I guess that sort of, would widening participation have ever been able to do initiative or policy that was all encompassing of the academy? Maybe not. Mm. Maybe it was maybe it was a stage thing. Like maybe we had to first of all get students in and then go after that. I don't know. Now, I do think we are at a stage now with WP where, like I said before, we are looking at the institution. So and we're looking at what happens to students when they get to uni. So there's this whole thing of student success and like what that means, especially as we now have more students from WP backgrounds. Okay, what happens when they get there? And we're now at a period of time where we're talking a lot about the BME attainment gap. And that's my role now, is co-lead on that project at UCL. Where, for the first time, you know, we're not taking an approach of like, well, these students, they're not achieving, they're not getting the first or two one, like, what's wrong with them? It's looking at the institution and saying, what are we doing wrong? How is institutional racism playing out? What can we do about it? Right, see, when I first come to university, right? Right, so I'm the first person in my family to go to university. Yeah. But when I came here, I didn't really understand what it was about. And, I had, and I, had, I, had, I had no one to help me, no one to speak to me about, and, and this is what happened. So I was told all the time, university, university, university. I don't even know why. In hindsight, I didn't really start really enjoying studying until mid-20s. So I've come to a place, I don't really know why I'm here, but no one helped me. No one said anything to me. In fact... It was the opposite. Lecturers wouldn't speak to me. Mm-hmm. And so in the end, I, you become disengaged. So I became disengaged. Because it's not like being at school where so you have to, you have to, have to. I'm thinking, no, I'm not saying anything. Mm-hmm. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get my grant and go buy some Machino jeans, man. <laughs> As in Patrick Cox. Because that's what I did. That's what I did. Yeah. Iceberg and everything. But that's what happened. And like, because I was so detached and it wasn't until my third or fourth, but yeah, second or third year that I kind of started thinking. But yeah. it wasn't because of the, the institution that helped me. No. And even though I went to a freshers fair, I thought that's 
dead. Just people that are not, not washing, man. <laughs> and turn up with funny haircuts. I'm like, oh, this is this is not me. It's not about me. Like, cause I'm. But don't you think that's part of the problem as well? Is that th that whole like raising aspirations thing? Because I was the same. My mum was like from nursery. She was like, <laughs> you're going to university. After school, it's <laughs> university. I'm like, what's university? Like, so you just knew you were going. Yeah. So it's not really like your aspirations so much as like the information, and that's part of like leading roots. What we do, we have the parents of it, and it's because of that gap between the aspirations that our parents have for us and the information of like, okay, what does university actually look like and how do we make informed decisions about courses and stuff? This is it, the knowledge, yeah. the content, because I, like I said, what you said is right. I had the aspiration, but I didn't know how it all worked. Mm. So when I got there, I'm seeing people say, are you staying over? And I'm like, no. But what I find quite frightening about this stuff even, and obviously it's amazing, what's happening with leading roots but i've just keep i just came into my mind then when you just said that paulette your mum t coming to our black in academia events mm. and coming up to me quite emotional at the end and being like i just didn't know any of this stuff mm. chantelle like if i had known this stuff like i would have i would have given this information to Tiso yeah. when he needed it. And my mum, I know, is exactly the same, like, working class background. Well, like, you just don't... But the thing that scares me about that is it's, it's amazing what's, what we're doing with Path to University, but it's the same thing. It's just the parents still don't know. Yeah. And I'm not saying that because they need to know. I'm just saying that the distribution and the democratisation of knowledge about education is not being done adequately. No, but they do need to know. Because, yeah. you know, it's about supporting your child. Because ultimately, yeah. when you think about university, I think as a parent, you're like, and it happens obviously a lot in our community, it's like, right, okay, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be like one of these career paths. Yeah. And this is the route that you're going to take. Because that makes sense. But ultimately, if you don't have all of the information, you're kind of steering your child in the wrong direction as well. And school is probably telling your child something completely different. Like, mm. oh, no, don't apply there. You, you might not get in. Or, don't, don't do... You know what I mean? But so I think, yeah. What makes me upset is that your parents, they, they see these things as respectable and well-paid jobs. Course, yeah. But they're not really saying, like... They don't really understand the kind of the kind of nuance when you get there, what it's like to be the only black person there or to be the only woman there. You walk into a room and people are not being funny with you, but they are being funny with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even though your parents understand that on a kind of everyday level, people walking on the street, but existing in that world. Mm. I bet like, even when I first started, I remember someone saying to me, they asked me, are you unemployed? Because you live in a council flat. Oh my days. Yeah. That's why I didn't come back. Yeah. And I'm like, mm. I thought I can't deal with people like that. Yeah. And, and this is what, I don't know, like, it makes me sad because how can your parents know? Most of our parents are, especially our, my age anyway, like, they come from a working class, man. Yeah. They're not going to be involved in those worlds. They don't go to university. No. They, they had no intention of going to university. Mm -hmm. they, they, they were just working. And so they try to make their life better for their kids. So they send me to university. Exactly, exactly right? So that was the path. Yeah. That was the, the ideal why we were both told. We're mm. going to <laughs> university. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Before you even know what it is. So I think for them, it's kind of, all right, she's made it or he's made it. Like you say, we don't really think about what happens when we get there. University is not really thinking about what happens when we get there. So you just have to model through. I've been in times when students have come to me, I had one girl in particular in my office just crying. 
black girl and I was just like, what's the matter? Like, you're at UCL, like, you made it. She's like, I don't feel smart enough. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you got the grades, you're, you're here. Like, I don't fit in, I can't afford things. And, and you know, like, yeah. what can I say to her? Because it's her experiencing it, it's her going through it. And mm -hmm. ultimately there aren't really, there, there's nothing I can tell her. Yeah. But the madness is, as a black person, that's been my experience when I've gone anywhere. So from being in the academy or working in the city, I get to that gaff and I'm like, I don't know, I don't know what the jokes are, the in-jokes, I don't know why people are speaking to me a certain way, yeah. or just the run-ins, how people are dressing. Silly things mm -hmm. that you think are inconsequential yeah. matter. I think, I know we've, we've spoke about this before on the podcast, but I think it's just worth just constantly repeating. University is so, so white, but it's white on a different level, as in the whiteness exists in a way that is more middle to upper class. And even though I grew up amongst white people in a white town, it was a combination of sort of lower middle class and working class families in the town, the small town that I grew up in outside of Birmingham. When I went to university, it was such a culture shock. So I was like, oh my God, there are like millionaires. There is like this white culture that I just had no idea about, like totally different to what the one that I'd known and I remember being that girl going into in fact yep yeah, shout out Karen O'Reilly going into Karen O'Reilly's office she was my cheer at the time and being like I can't do this I'm the only black person in my halls I'm the only black person on my course can't afford to eat I've got to work like all the time and I remember she she really helped me in terms of practical advice and I got sorted and I made it through and I did make some amazing friends but that experience haunts me still obviously so many other black students who go to these prestigious yeah universities that, that attract a lot of privately educated white students that are just like all it is they're just engine rooms that that will feed into those wide into, into wider society so yeah. the people i've met in michael's i would end up meeting them again at work and they would be well, maybe a grade higher than me. Mm -hmm. But we left at the same time. Or all my mates that we left and we decided we we're going to do a master's. They might, some of my mates, they end up going to the working for the EU. Mm. I applied, didn't get it though. <laughs> but no, it's, but what I'm trying to say is like, these things, they keep re recreating themselves. Mm -hmm. And what happens is, because we, when you see that end result, if I take it back to a kind of like, to the school level, because I don't see no black teachers, I don't see me in those places. Yeah. Mm. So when I'm in school, when I go to university, when I go to I didn't see no black person working in the city. Mm. In fact, for the 12 years I was with there, three black people. Mm. The only other person there, the fourth one, was a security guard. About when you were at Goldsmiths? Do you know what, Chantal? I can't remember. No, blur. I came, I would stay about maybe a day, maybe. I, I, didn't like, I don't like people there, so I just mm. didn't come. That idea of representation, it matters. Because if I don't see me, but because the system doesn't encourage that or even, it doesn't even pay lip, it doesn't even pay lip service to that. Because even when I see, even the black people that you see on TV now, like in politics, the Tory guys, they're not me. No. They're not my people. They're like, they are conservative and they're coming from a middle class background. Mm. So what do you do? Do you know what? I think it's also beyond representation. I think it's also about like people having your back. Because yep. I remember in school, there were, like, a few black teachers we were fortunate enough to have. And I just remember, we, we, were, we weren't grateful. <laughs> we weren't grateful. But when I left school and I went back, I, I thanked them all 
because I knew what they were doing. Yeah, I knew that they had our back. I knew that they were trying to pull us to one side and be like, look, you know, don't do this. You need to stop doing this. Or you need to, you know, <laughs> yeah. when they called your mum or whatever, it was for you. It literally was for your own good. It yeah. Wasn't. Yeah. And I just think so the issue is, is representation in terms of seeing yourself, but also people that will support you and like, yeah. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. When I do, when I've done the mentoring, that's how I speak to the kids. It's like, because I know. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was you. So I'm trying to tell you, don't, not to do the things that I did, because it, it takes longer. Yeah. So there's ways around it. But it's having that, someone, having someone who's been there. So if no one's been there, what do you do? Yeah. And this is the kind of, this is the kind of like a chicken and egg situation that we find ourselves in. Like, what, what do we do? Just bringing it back now to leading roots, Paulette. So we've mentioned briefly past university mm -hmm. so tell us how that started mm -hmm. and where it's at now so we're on our we've just had our third past event and that was in april, april. yeah and we get about 100 parents and their children come along and we get representatives from all different universities so we've had like soas ucl kings all universities just come along and give a talk about student finance, mm -hmm. about making course choices, all those sorts of things, basically. just It's like a general WP event, but I feel like what's different is, A, the students are in the room with their parents, so they're getting the same information. B, it's black-led, so you're already in an environment where you feel you can ask certain questions that you might not be able to, you, you won't be able to ask. Um, at other events and I think a great example is that um, the news story the other day was at Cambridge where they had that headline they were like students aren't, black students aren't coming here because we don't have hairdressers <laughs> oh like, do you know what I was like that week I was like I can't do this I don't have time I don't have time to even engage in this article I didn't, I didn't engage they with are it, so irritating but the like, thing with that was and I, I know how it probably played out is that they were like right let's do a focus group <laughs> this is what happened right <laughs> they did a I know it they did a focus group and the safe space was created in some way, shape or form. And what came out was the fact that, yeah, no, nah, I wouldn't come down here because like, where am I going to get my hair done? As we know, like, yeah, of course, that is a conversation we would probably have. You know, if you had enough black students, someone on campus could probably do hair. But that's yeah. not. And also, there is actually a black hairdresser in Cambridge. I happen well, to know that. Found yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think the point is that you can't have nuanced conversations like that in white spaces. Because they take it and, and they, they go to the independent with it and plaster it all over the headlines. Well, we know why we don't have... It's nothing to do with us. It's nothing to do with racism. It's nothing to do with that. It's because we don't know how to do their hair. Oh. So, yeah, we're creating that environment where no one... There's going to be no headlines. Just ask your questions and we'll give you an honest answer. Mm -hmm. Um... And yeah, we just get a lot of feedback. My child has just, they've just done a 180. They know what they need to do now. Or, you know, we it's were powerful, working, yeah. Yeah, we were working the wrong way, we were working forwards. Because think about it, you're always like, okay, got your GCSEs now, all right, you've got to do your A levels now, okay, you've got to choose a degree now. Whereas we know, in fact, you should be working backwards and working out what you need to do in order to get there. So, yeah, it's it's a great event. It's it's a fun day as well. It's like a community vibe. It's so nice. It's so nice that event. Just quite moving being in that space, like and hearing 
just it being black led and hearing parents feel like they can just ask questions and just getting that information and seeing students excited by seeing themselves represented in the university mm. and like, I think that's what's needed I think I for me what I like about it, it it makes me happy because it's the stuff that I wish I had mm. instead of making up yourself mm-hmm. and when you're making up yourself you don't know what you're doing yeah. and sometimes when you know what you're doing you just think fuck it yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so I, I don't go I decide I'm going, and then I'll go back then because you don't, you don't really understand what's happening, I can't really communicate. My mum thinks I'm failing. Mm-hmm. She gets depressed and gets it on me. Mm-hmm. I get more depressed. And you think to yourself, well, what, what? I don't even know what's happening. Yeah. I don't, I'm not even sure I even like going to university. Meanwhile, there's some middle-class white child who's, like, sailing through because they've got ample amount of support. They've got all the knowledge. They've got all this capital. They haven't got to deal with any racism. They haven't got to deal with the racism. They don't have to work part-time. They don't have to... And I'm not saying this is all middle-class white children, but we know that they're more likely to be in that position where they just don't have to deal with a lot of the things that our students have to. Mm. Obviously, I feel like that leads quite nicely into talking about what we've been trying to do with the Black in Academia stuff. Mm-hmm. So we've sort of spoken about how students come to get have come to increasingly, particularly black students, come to be undergraduate students within UK higher education. But we know that that sort of hasn't led to more students being able to get masters and then PhDs. I think the work we do in terms of um, black in academia is around, I think when I've got this new job, like I said, it looks more at what happens to the students when they get to uni. You just kind of think, mm, they're being failed in so many ways that I think, yeah, there was just a gap for us to be like, okay, right, what can we do to A, encourage them to even think about doing a PhD? I can't think of anything that we do in higher education that says to students, have you thought about doing a PhD? Mm. And we know research tells us that black students are a lot less likely to get that tap on the shoulder from a tutor or, or an academic mm. that's teaching them to say... Mm. Have you thought about doing it? When I speak to people, students, either they're like, no, I've never really thought about it, or they're like, yeah, but I just don't, I wouldn't have a clue where to start. So, yeah, it was about providing an information event, and that's obviously also when I met you, Chantel, Mm. and then we started having these conversations. I was like, yeah, yeah, this is great. So, um, yeah, the idea is really just to create a space, again, quite similar, where people can ask questions, where people can get information. I feel like we've got a formula. It feels like everyone that comes that is either within the academy or outside of that is a stakeholder that isn't necessarily the person that the event is for comes to me and pull that and is like, wow, that is incredible. It's so radical. And it's like, we're just democratising knowledge. The institutions haven't been doing. We're just telling people what the steps are that you can do to have a better chance. And that is just what is not happening right. across you, universities. I would take it back and I'd say it's what you've done, Paulette, without you really realising it, it's something in the in the vein of uh, Marcus Garvey and Malcolm X. It's you're doing you're doing stuff for ourselves. Yeah. Now, when, when people think of that, they think it might setting up businesses and all that. Listen, that's that's long, right? You have to start And it gets us to one yeah, place. Yeah, you have to start from it? the yeah. base. And and it all comes down to knowledge, education. If you don't have those people there, like I said, if I don't see myself in school, see a black teacher or a black lecturer, when I go to some place and I say, I, I, I'll talk about something, everyone's like, what? Mm. You, you want to lecture us? They don't understand because they, they don't see a black person doing that. Mm. Me personally, that's how I see it. And that's mm. how what I think is important because 
if you don't have that base, and we're doing it for ourselves, and you, you haven't done it because you want to make loads of money, you do it because you want to help people, and that's that's the best intention. Most people, most where we go wrong, it's, it comes down to money. But I'm just doing it to help people. You're doing it to help people, and that's that's powerful. I think as well. One of the things I will say though is around like the sustainability, right? So Shantan and I have these discussions quite a bit around like how do we keep this going because ultimately we want to make sure that these information events in particular are free because there's no point in trying to democratise information and charging people for it. But then also, I still feel it's like we always then have to rely on organisations which are typically white-led organisations and at some point, someone along the line black person is going to have to ask a white person for money yeah you know what I mean and it's kind of like I understand I understand that how it works we were mm. talking about um, she's got a habit oh yeah <laughs> um, that, that always happens I get it but I do think we need to get to a stage as a community where we're a bit more willing to pay for things knowing that it's going to help someone else in our community do you know what I mean and so that we can remove ourselves from what an organization saying oh, our strategy's changed and we're not doing that anymore so yeah because we because we can we can run on an academic yearly basis at the moment like that's how we can run we can't run in a way that is thinking okay this is what we want to do in five years because we don't know if the fact if the money's going to be there so it's like us doing the occasional ticketed events it's not because we're trying to fill our pockets. It's in fact the opposite. Like it's the opposite. Like we're we're doing. We're not making no money. We're, making no money. <laughs> we're just trying to keep it sustainable and make it so we don't have to go always these organisations and say we need this money. Obviously, we want to co- we want to collaborate with stakeholders. I'm quite fortunate as well. I think with the sorts of people like UCL, for example, are like a major our main sponsor yeah um, and they let us just they let us do it yeah they and let us get on with it um, as well as welcome Sage so we're doing we've got good people but again it's about the people mm. and if you if that one link that you've got leaves then, then the, the, yeah <laughs> Listen, any famous rich black people out there? No. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> or what about George Soros? George Soros is funny. Yeah, he funders, he funders, he funders. Um, he's, not, he's not black, but he's got a lot of money. And he's a socialist. That's what I mean. So when it's really difficult. How do you run a socialist organisation without having events? Like, there has to be some sort of income into it in order oh, to really? keep... Because you can't do anything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a difficult one. I feel like America. I don't like the comparisons with America, but I do feel like it's quite different mm. in terms of like black philanthropists and like. But that's that's the historical thing. That's yeah. that's set up here. Like over here, like it's different. Mm. But like I said, what's interesting to me and what's important is that how you've managed to do that over here, given that that's not the basis of our cultural life over here. Because I've never, if I'm honest, any kind of black thing I've been to, it's been a madness. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a, it's been a madness, and I, have, so, you know what I mean. So this is organised and, and it's and it's and. It's <laughs> Sorry. Amazing black community organisations. They're not all yeah. a madness. No, but, no, but, but what, I'm, um, what I'm trying to say is, in my experience, I was. I'm just yeah. saying. And also, it's worth noting that, like, w- 
the stuff that we've been trying to do via leading routes when Paulette started it and when I joined you at the beginning of 2018, that work is building on the really important work that black women and black men have been doing for years and years. So it's not like this is just popped out of nowhere. This is based... We're fortunate that we're in a moment, and I guess we're going to talk about that in a minute, where academia seemingly seems to want to change to what extent they actually want to change is, is something that I guess we can talk about in a minute. But yeah, we are ca- we've captured a moment and we're trying to do what we can to harness that support into helping more black students, basically. Mm. And I think that is why we're now sort of looking at our community because we know the moment will pass. And so it's important that our community sticks with us and, and kind of continues to support us. Yeah, you said seemingly. It's hard because there are so many well-intentioned scholars, academic workers, whatever you want to call it, people that work within higher education that know things need to change and want things to change. Well, want, I'm not sure about that. Some, so, Anyway, there are well-meaning ones and we've been fortunate enough, whether it's through the podcast or whether it's through leading roots stuff, like we've been fortunate enough to be able to be helped by some of these people in terms yeah. of creating more knowledge that's led by us. But I think what Tisa was saying earlier in terms of higher education and the academy being reflective of everyday life and other organisations outside of HE, I think that's where we're coming across some barriers. So representation or seek or support is not concrete enough and it's not being done in a sustainable way. It so, often seems very tokenistic. But I think, I think the people feel... Because, right, so when you go to, when you work in a corporation, you know there has to be a diversity and equality, or I'm taking to court, man. Yeah. But when you come here, you think this is a knowledge of, a place of knowledge and learning, like, mm. that should be colourblind, man. Like, listen, mm. I'm seeing people that don't wash and everything, but it's, people are just letting things hang out. It's, you're, you're here to learn, you discover yourself, it's open and free, but you forget it's part of society. Mm. You forget. I guess what I think, and this isn't to say people aren't doing this work, but I don't, but personally, I don't think a lot, not enough people are doing it. We need to antagonise, we need to think about, we need to poke at how whiteness plays out in the academy. Like, we're focused on how we can help black students, we can democratise knowledge, we can try and create a di- networks for black students, but we need to think about the people that are in power and how they, re- they have the power to reproduce inequalities no matter how much work we do. And I just want to read a quote now from an article that I read today from Professor Alison Phipps, who's at the University of Sussex, and it's an article in Red Pepper magazine, and it's um, a section from one of her new books it's not published yet but I just thought this quote was just incredible and really sort of even though she was talking about the me she's talking about the me too movement actually but I think it really applies to the academy whiteness is predisposed to woundedness from a position of power one naturally becomes preoccupied with threat the figures of the settler and the master are emblems of conquest and subjugation but there is always a risk these figures will be displaced or violently overthrown. Whether from indigenous populations, enslaved people, immigrants, political correctness or social justice warriors, the idea of whiteness under threat has significant cultural influence. That quote is really powerful in thinking about how we have a pushback against 
in quotation diversity and inclusivity within the academy it is a th- it's position sometimes some white people feel like it's a threat to their position it's a threat to their prestige to their place as knowledge producers yeah, totally. right so if you kind of tied it into her the, the kind of current strands that's going along today politically what i've been thinking you have to understand right so you, I always, I always look at my position. I understand my position. So I try to think of their position. What no human being likes is change. Mm. It's a change. Now, it, this is a positive change because I think it would enhance their life. It, like, it, like it's enhanced society. But it's convinced people that this change will benefit them because no one likes to change. Because um, automatically you feel like you may lose something. And this is how, in this current political moment, this is how people are thinking. Mm. They think change means I'm going to lose something. Mm-hmm. Now, they, they haven't realised that the last 400 years, this change has meant they've gained stuff. Like Your life's changed incalculably. It's got better, materially, socially. But initially, that word change frightens people. I see it every day in my job. And I think part, like a huge part of my role is just going around the institution with data around the attainment gap and explaining that it's not the student's fault and telling people that the institution needs to change and everyone's on board with that. And then I say, okay, but this is what you have to do. As an individual. (laughs) Because the institution is like all of us as people. And I think that's where you get the resistance. And resistance is not always in the form of like, this isn't a problem, we don't need to do anything about that because I rarely hear that at all. It's always, but how? Like, what, what can I do? Oh, like, but what about this data? Like, can you pick apart this data and tell me exactly what this means or what this number is? And so you have to kind of be aware, like you say, how how that resistance to change manifests because it's not always in a way that you recognise immediately. Yeah, and it can also manifest in, in another way, which I'm finding increasingly uncomfortable, where you're getting black students, black academics to speak on behalf of the institution or act as sort of like be on panels and talk about inequality and talk about racism obviously I'm not this isn't anything that's happened recently this has happened for years but we're still doing that you still want me to break down how racist the institution is like that is it's making me want to act unreasonable now at the moment like (laughs) it's it's making me it's making me want to act unreasonable and T you oh do you, yeah. want to read, do you want to read that? Um, yeah, we, were, we were reading some um, black skims, white masks the other day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Franz Fanon said, I had rationalised the world and the world rejected me on the basis of colour prejudice. Since no agreement was possible on the level of reason, I threw myself back toward unreason. It's so big. <laughs> um, and, it's but- like, and it's like, it's sort of, they, they don't want to change, but they say, okay, why don't you come and tell us about yourself? And then I can say in my report that I had you come on my panel. Like, we're not doing that anymore. Well, I, I, I'm rational. I, I've spoken to you about this issue yeah. umpteen times. You can see it in legislation. You can, you can, you can get this 10 tons of books. We've been doing it for the last, what, in, what 50 years mm-hmm. since we come here? Mm-hmm. You know that. But now you're still asking the same question. That makes me act like the, the trope that you think I am, emotional, angry, because I'm thinking, yeah. are you dumb? Yeah. I've just said it to you, not me, mm-hmm. about a billion people said it to you. Yeah. In fact, you've made law, you, not me, you have made laws, right? Mm-hmm. So what are you saying? Like I said, 
for me at the moment, I'm particularly interested in this particular moment that we're in. So for 40 years, you've had anti-racism and everyone overtly doesn't want to be cast as a racist. But I'm still seeing stuff like clearly racist stuff. Mm. And when I'm speaking to people who are older than me mm. and I ask them, has, in your experience, has anything changed? And they're telling me no. That's black people. That's black people. And I'm like, this is a madness. Yeah. How can this be? Like I said, we've had all this legislation, all the work that everyone's been doing, everyone. And we've come to 2019, and I'm hearing people talking about immigrants the way they're talking about them. Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing myself represented anywhere. That's not on anymore. Mm-hmm. I can't have that at all. Yeah. Part of leading roots as well, I feel your pain. I feel the thing. <laughs> <laughs> I, part of it is for me, like, just creating a space where we don't have to constantly be discussing the struggle and um, but then also we can kind of create the, the platform in the meantime so whilst they sort all this out it's going to take a long time like let's create a space where the students that are coming through have a voice have a platform have help have support so are disrupting the discourse there's our scholars our scholars, scholars. <laughs> disrupting the discourse scholars yeah so we um next week well by the time this comes out we would have actually had black in academia live um so we, we put out a call for um current students who um yeah wanna wanted a platform or wanted to give like a ted style talk about the way in which academia or higher education has helped them to either consider themselves their own experience differently or the experience of the diaspora differently and how I guess we can more connect our community with academia because mm. there was obviously this disconnect. And we just had some amazing students. Yeah, before, so honestly, so when they were, when they sort of in the last, it's so weird that like when this comes out, yeah, we would have, it would have oh, all been done. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we can talk about them. It's been, so, we've just got so emotional when we got all the scripts come through for next week and we've got people talking about black mathematicians, we've got all black oral histories, we've got um, emergency contraception, we've got like just all these things and there's just so much like care and effort and time they've put into preparing these talks and it's just like to what extent do we give black students the space to do this, to be themselves, to be able to talk about subjects they're passionate about that isn't to do with racism. Exactly and I kind of feel as well like institutions always take this approach and like they said i've said it in the in the program but like you know photo ops or like um focus groups and it's like we need to move beyond that now Mm -hmm. we need to get to the point where we just give students opportunity to actually hear like we want to hear what they have to say and give them that but like i said i think what you're saying is important so i don't want to so when i mention these kids i don't want to kind of see them burdened by the past yeah 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 like, I asked them a question. I said, how do you see yourselves? What's your identity? And the answer is anything. And that's interesting because they, they don't feel tied down to anything, be, be it a Muslim, be it a Kurd, be it, be it this. They see themselves as just being in the moment. And that's, and that's important because once you start tying yourself, that, that's, that's too much, man. Like, if you let the kids, if they can come through that system without all that nonsense... You could be whoever you want to be. True. But until we get to that point, until they stop kind of boxing and trying, trying to kind of have to deal with that past still, it's a problem. But this is why I think that we need to start looking at more how whiteness operates within institutions because 
whiteness is what makes you feel right. excluded within these institutions, so I think. I obviously doing my thing on whiteness and it's, we have to understand how whiteness conceives itself. It's, it's a weird thing. And like I said, this is the most superficial example. And like I said, I always do it for like for men and women as well. Even in the English language, there's no introspection for whiteness or for men, right? So, for example, for a woman, how many derogatory words are there for a woman? Loads. Mm -hmm. There's none for a man. Mm -hmm. In in the English language, is any there's no derogatory words, actual specific derogatory words for white people. For black people, there's hundreds. Mm -hmm. they, there's no introspection. They don't look at themselves that way because they're the default setting. Why would you? Why would you question yourself? They fight, but and it's just so fascinating to me, like. White people find it uncomfortable to talk about whiteness, yeah. but they expect us to talk about blackness all the time. <laughs> and even when, even when, even when, like me and Paulette are talking to people that are stakeholders or want to get involved, leading roots or do some stuff, and they're white, like you can see, you can see the the glee. The what, sorry? They're, they're happy. They want to talk... Yeah, they're like, oh, yeah, let's talk about black students. Let's talk about, like, I want to talk about you. I want to talk about the reason why there's five black PhDs doing history at the moment in the UK is because of your system. Yep. It's because of your structure. Listen. It's not about the black students. Read this. Read, 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 read black skins. says point, pointing at black skins, white mouth. Right, read that, right. So you will sit, like, Fran breaks it down for you, like, you're the negative to their positive. Yeah. You embody those things that they, they, they feel they're not. And so it's easy for them to talk about it because it's, it's, it's like an, an, a, another form of othering. They're talking about me projecting. And when you start saying stuff about them, you see how uncomfortable it is. If I say the word race in front of my white mates, oh, you're on it again, oh, you're on it again. Or I say, listen, let's talk about white people. Or, I, or because I like a lot of history. So I said, like, listen, whenever a black person comes to your country to hurt you, never. Who's hurt you? Germans. Spanish, this, then, and I said, like, you don't know your own culture. I said, I've never hurt you, ever. But you're telling me I've come here to listen, read your books, bruv. Mm. This conversation is so interesting to me, actually, because, like I was saying about WP, how it kind of, you know, I went into it just not really understanding the policy side of it or the, you know, the sociological academic mm, side mm, of it. Mm. And now I'm kind of learning that and doing my master's. But I think, like, yeah, I think more people in these areas of work need to understand this bit mm. so that we can better, we can work better and we can actually understand the work that we're doing and the impact that it might have. I um, I try to be as positive as possible in terms of doing this work by Leading Roots P, but I don't know how how successful that is going to be in the immediate, in the immediate future. As in, they are so defensive. Like, they're so defensive and no one wants to take responsibility. But I, I expect and that. I expect that. It's the fact that, it's the fact that you're doing. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to be, it's the one person that makes a difference. Yeah, it's and that that's one. true. And, that, and, and it's really important to say here, like, there's been amazing mm. white academics that have got me to where I am now. But why is it that we can't talk about the ones that haven't got me to where I am I'm now. I have to constantly. I, I have to constantly be like, right. So there are good white people. Of course, there's good white people, but there are those that uphold the structure, and it's almost like there's no space to interrogate those things because people get really defensive. Like I said, there is no. 
like I said, there's no degree of inspection. Don't there's yeah. never be, there's never been that dialogue. So when there is a dialogue, they think because historically you've, we've ended slavery, boom, yeah. we've done whatever civil rights, boom, we've we've had that discussion, we've moved on, racism doesn't exist anymore, whatever it will be, post race, all that nonsense. Uh, oh, you, you like uh, because I, cause I've got a few white mates. It, it doesn't. Oh, there's exist. a brown home secretary too. Yeah, so he's obviously, a, he's a dick. <laughs> but, such a dick. <laughs> but um. <laughs> and there are going to be. There, do you know what? There are going to be white people that. There are going to be white academics listening to this now. And listen, I, I'm listen. Uh, for me, I, I'm not going to. I'm not anti white. I've spent well, my. I spent. I spent my whole life speaking about enlightenment. Can they're my heroes? But equally, and he's not mine. So. <laughs> but he's racist. He's super racist. But but you see, but but it still doesn't stop me from interrogating those no. things. And and and, make, and making critiques of that system, so I'm not. It's it doesn't come across like sometimes I anti white or we're pro. I'm just trying to make things better. Currently, how things are, it's working, but it's painful. And that painful it's, process, right? It's, it's sent me to depression, man. Man sat there and watched Jeremy Carl when it was on days yeah. eating yeah. Kentucky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is, and I think. We're really lucky in in the sense that like the people that are listening to this are the people that get, that usually will get it. But I hope that maybe there are some academics that are listening to this that maybe feel a bit uncomfortable. And I know that sounds. I'm not trying to be. I'm not trying to be a dickhead. I'm just trying to be like, this is this is what it's like. I, like it's so real. Like, with leading roots. The spe- as T says, like, I think it really is. I think you're right. It stems from Garveyism. It stems from us creating something for ourselves. And I think that's really important. But I think we can only get to a certain point and then whiteness has to be... Inte- it has to be... But then we know that because yeah. we've tried to dip our toe into challenging the sector and, and actually creating spaces where we meet with white people to talk to them about the system and how it works. And, I mean, on a very basic level, to say we were exhausted would be an understatement. We and were. I just think that that's not where I want to... No, right. exactly. For, we can't for, do that. For any organisation to be successful, you need allies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a conversation along the way, because you, you will get stuck. Yeah, and we, totally. we, and we have and allies. We, and we have, and we're so lucky, mm. again, like, we're so lucky, like, that we've got some great allies, like, mm. that have been integral to what we've been able to do via both paths to university and black and academia. But in terms of looking at, I think, I don't know, Paula, you're more of an expert on this than me, but in terms of looking at WP and the undergraduate stuff, Mm. I feel like that's a lot further ahead than in terms of the postgraduate stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There isn't really data about a lot of postgraduate issues when it comes to race. And this is where it gets, this is where it gets like, tricky I think with academia and um I think increasingly you're you're getting more and more black students that have got voices and that have got mm-hmm. platforms that are gonna that are woke, <laughs> that are woke that are going to be putting pressure okay. on the academy because look in sociology one of the biggest topics is race and racism and how life is for black people but who's doing the majority of that work mm-hmm. It is white scholars. I'm not having a go at you for being a white scholar, but there are more black researchers that want to be doing that work who are from these communities. So we have to think about 
who is we have to think about who is doing this work and who gets the opportunity to do this work more like again like this isn't I'm not saying anything new but I think in this current moment universities need to watch out because what <laughs> we're, we're coming did, did you see that that tweet um that I, I posted about the girl who sued her university yeah i feel like that's what's gonna i know it's a slightly different issue yeah yeah, yeah. She sued her university because um like for forced advertising effectively because about they, the course yeah the course i think they yeah said that it was like it was a cma issue but they were just like it's a world-class course or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah. like no ain't she got money. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of where we're, we could be heading in terms yeah. of issues around race and racism, BME attainment gap, all that sort of thing where people are going to push back. Well, you see, this is the thing. Traditionally, how we understand universities are abstract places of learning. So when we start bringing basically private sector reforms into that business sector, fees, fees and stuff like yeah. that, you have... You open to, yourself up. Basically, you become even more entrenched in the real world. So I will challenge you because I'm not getting uh, basically what I think is value for money. I'm a customer. I'm a customer, yeah. yes. Yeah. So when you start bringing in market reforms, you, you have problems. Mm-hmm. But you, the benefits, because we, we make money. Mm-hmm. But, the, but, the, back, the, but, the, but the, kind of, the kind of flip side to that is I can challenge you and say, well, listen, you're not delivering on X or delivering on Y. I guess there's, there's a debate to have. Does that take away from the, the kind of notion of education? Because when you start bringing, when we put in market reforms into the NHS, it, it destroyed the NHS. Mm. It's destroying the NHS. Mm. So if you start bringing it to university, you change it. Yeah. You change the nature of but it. But the problem yeah. is, and this is where, like, Dom, who we all know and has been on podcasts before, what he says is that at sometimes these, like, in quotations, private sector reforms, whatever, bring more accountability onto the academics that reproduce the inequalities. Because we know before, when you are when you were left on your own, when you were just a knowledge production education institution, university, you only let white people in. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it, I, I agree. I don't think, I think that the university should be publicly owned. I don't think it should be modelled on a, a private, I don't think it should be modelled in a private sector way. But, who is who's accountable? Who is recording how many PhDs are black in a university? Like I know there's about three of us at Goldsmiths in sociology, but that's appalling. Like it's when I just stopped on them. Why? Because then I feel like you guys really answered it. Like people are not gonna. I don't think people are gonna take this anymore. And it's also worth noting. Whether they'll still be protesting by the time this comes out, probably. It's like day 83 of the Goldsmiths anti racism protests. They're protesting against the whole of the structure within Goldsmiths. So. But you see, this is the thing. And like, if I'm honest, do these people care? Yeah. Like, when, I, when I've sat in a room with them, opposite them, eye to eye, and I'm thinking, you're mugging me off, man. This is, what Paulette, this is what Paulette has to do. Every time someone gets in contact with us, they're like, we really want to help or do something leading roots. Paulette's like, well, I need to look at them in the eye. Listen. <laughs> okay, we need a meeting. Yeah, this is <laughs> I will look you in the face and I can see that. Basically, you're just boying me off. You're, you're telling me what I want to hear. So I leave that room and think, yeah, yeah, I've sorted. But like, they, it's getting someone, it's finding an ally, finding someone. And it looks like I've, I've seen black gatekeepers do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, of course, it's, of course. Basically, it's, it's, not always about yeah, it's entrenched yeah. interests, right? So it could be a class thing, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've seen it. So you, I have to, it's about finding those people that care. Yeah. 
and, and establish that dialogue and trying to understand, make, make, make them feel comfortable that I'm not looking to take your job, bruv. I'm not looking to hurt you, man. But I'm looking, to, I'm looking to bring more people in, man. And that won't place you at a disadvantage. It, it may mean there's more competition, but that's the nature of things, man. But this is where, this is sort of where it's important to bring back in that whiteness isn't about individuals, it's about structure. And that's what I just read previously from Alison Phipps is about how it's the structure is so powerful. It runs on fear, basically, as well. Fear and a threat of being replaced. And it's about people interrogating that structure that they benefit from interrogating that like how does my fear for my job for my phd for my funding for my, my child for my for, for my children's <laughs> access how does that impact upon black and brown people it does you know every right, day so when i've been looking at it, like if you speak to like, when i've been speaking to like neo-nazis that like, notion of fear but did you just say when i speak to neo-nazis <laughs> Do you know, I really want you and Aaron Winter to just do an episode with some like But no, it's interesting. Far right guy. So, I'm not being there. Yeah, no, but, but just But you just, see, <laughs> obviously he's white, so you get a different reaction. But boom, when I when I speak to them and you speak to them about fear, they don't see it as fear. They don't they don't understand as I we would interpret it as them being scared. There's there's fear of something. But I don't think you have to go all the way to a far-right no, no. Nazi to sing that. I think you can get that from a white academic. No, but but, when, you, like, yeah. when, I, when I speak to these guys here, that obviously I give them some because they're the most extreme, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you think that they're, gonna, they're not going to say, I'm scared of you. They'll rationalise. Yeah. So it's not, it's not, they don't see that fear. They're, they're, they, they think, and like I said, the best way for me to meet, to understand, like I said to you, explain it before, was change. No one likes change. And it's making them feel comfortable with change. So when I've spoken to them and you speak to these people and they realise, right, well, what? You're not really angry about slavery, no. What? I am. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. no. Or, or what? You're not trying to. No. What? You don't speak slang. No. I'm just normal. We mm-hmm. listen to the same music. We do the same. We do similar things. Mm-hmm. And it's trying to get the, trying to make these people understand that this change is not going to hurt them. In fact, it, it will benefit them. Mm. Yeah, just like change. Change is painful, mm-hmm. and it's problematic. But you know what's. Do you know what's more painful? Watching black students can face the exact same things yeah. that we've all faced continuously. 100%. So I would rather start poking them when I can, being like, you need to change, you need to change. Because all we've had to do is adapt, adapt, adapt. 100%. And that has caused... It's exhausting. So it's exhausting and it's painful. And it, it leads to, like I said, the, like Frenin's a the G, it leads to kind of that disassociative kind of mindset. I don't know who I am or how I'm meant to be. It's taken me a long time to work out who I am meant to be. So when I go to academia, I'm not trying to be them anymore. I'm just me. So I'll talk to you in a way how I talk to my pals in it. And I, I'll get across the way I speak. Not, I won't speak academically because that's not me. But you, like I said, this whole kind of rarefied space that you have to be like this dressing in like... The deadest clothes. That's not me. It's always back to the fashion with you, Do you know what it is? I do think it's about getting our young people to that stage as well. Where they can just be Where like, this is be. themselves. Because I think a huge part of it is going into these spaces and feeling that pressure to adapt and try and be accepted. And I just think that 
they're they're forced to do that ultimately. Listen, Paulette, this is this is how I, I didn't know how to be. Yeah. So I go to these places. I don't know. I go there, and these people, they're having all these in jokes. And the same thing when I end up working, you don't know how you're meant to be. Yeah. And then if I if I be if I was the way I went to be, they they like if I do a hand movement, they think I'm being aggressive. Yeah. And this has been my experience. Mm-hmm. So it it. It, it's it's important to have spaces like Leading Roots, Black in Academia, to say to kids, like, you can be yourself. Yeah. And in 2019, there's, there's a billion ways of being yourself. Yeah, so as I, a black person. Yeah, as a black person, yeah, yeah, you, yeah, can, yeah. you can be who you want. You could be yeah. the a trendsetter, a hipster, whatever. Mm-hmm. But I find that when, we, when I came to a space like this, because it's conservative with a small C, yeah. so you conform, man. Mm-hmm. You talk a bit quieter. Oh, yeah. Use less slang and all that nonsense, man. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Chantel Tiso and Paulette. We'll be back every week with a new episode and with a new guest. Please, please, please rate us and subscribe to us. The other thing that we've done as well to help us with our editing costs, because we pay for it ourselves usually, the production of the podcast, is we've set up a Patreon. If you are an academic, or student, anyone that enjoys listening to this and enjoys how we sort of try and bring in different sociological perspectives from different um, academics and students, then please do support us. Um, I was going to add, if anyone does pay via Patreon, we do some extra shows. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to do some extra episodes of... Possibly me and Tiso ranting about politics, current affairs. I won't, I'll be talking about myself, standing. <laughs> Tiso will be talking about yourself and trainers, and I'll be trying to bring it back to the wider topic. <laughs> Thanks, Paula. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>